that rock slide collided with two vehicles, one of them one of our police vehicles and another one a civilian vehicle. Now on the news hour, a very close call. A rock slide on the North Shore destroys a police cruiser, landing its officer in hospital. Plus, just like a big boom and shake hit the house, and we thought it was an earthquake or lightning. Nowhere to go. The family of seven suddenly left homeless by last weekend's wicked windstorm. And. I think it really illustrates the kind of desperation that some people are facing in the city of Vancouver. Is it parody or further proof of an overheated rental market? The listing for four walls on four wheels that's raising eyebrows. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thank you for joining us. A West Vancouver police officer is on the mend tonight after coming far too close for comfort to a rock slide on the North Shore. Their cruiser was hit by a boulder on the road leading to a popular ski resort, which just opened to the public today. As Paul Johnson reports, the frightening ordeal happened just hours before Cypress Mountain opened up its slopes for the season to skiers and snowboarders. Try to imagine the experience of one of these huge granite boulders falling onto the road as you're driving. That rock slide collided with two vehicles, one of them one of our police vehicles and another one a civilian vehicle. For both drivers, it was a wrong place, wrong time situation. There was no advance warning of instability on the slope there, which is part of the steep mountainside above the road that leads up to the Cypress Mountain ski area. It easily could have been much worse. The civilian vehicle, thankfully, was not um, severely damaged and the occupants weren't injured. Um, our officer, however, who was driving that vehicle did sustain some serious injuries to his head, some very serious lacerations to his head. Those cuts required a trip to the hospital for that West Van police officer. He's expected to fully recover, though the car he was in was totaled. Cypress Bowl is under the jurisdiction of the provincial Ministry of Transportation. Neither the city of West Vancouver nor the police say they'd had a briefing yet from the province about a possible cause or any more work that might need to happen. While the two drivers avoided a potentially much worse outcome, it's likely the ski area did as well. This was the scene Saturday morning at Cypress Bowl, just hours after that slide. The skiers and boarders came from around the region for opening day. Had the slide not been clearable, that would have certainly wrecked a bluebird day on the slopes. At Cyprus, Paul Johnson, Global News. More than a week has passed since a powerful windstorm caused countless trees to topple on power lines and buildings right across the lower mainland. For many, the cleanup process is either underway or over by now. But for one family in Maple Ridge, the damage to their home was so severe, they found themselves forced out into the bitter cold. Julia Foy has their story. Some technical issues there. We'll be back to that story in just a few moments. Now to a disruptive protest tactic 
tactic rather by climate change activists, which you may have heard about happening at European museums recently, has now surfaced here in Vancouver. Two people entered the Vancouver Art Gallery this afternoon and poured maple syrup on the Emily Carr painting Stumps and Sky. Vancouver police say they then posed for a third person who took their picture and videotaped them. Police say they believe they know who the women are and they are investigating. The Art Gallery issued a statement condemning the act of vandalism, saying there will likely be no permanent damage to the 1934 piece of artwork. The group Stop Fracking Around, which is trying to highlight the climate change emergency, emailed Global News video of the incident, which we have chosen not to air. For another consecutive weekend, there is no let-up from Iranian Canadians and their supporters in showing their opposition to the Iranian regime. A large crowd gathering outside the Vancouver Art Gallery once again this Saturday calling for change in Iran. Demonstrations in Vancouver and around the world were sparked eight weeks ago by the death of 22-year-old Masa Amini in the custody of Iran's so-called morality police. The Iranian regime has since cracked down on the resulting revolutionary protests in that country, with the United Nations saying tens of thousands of demonstrators have been arrested in Iran. In Vancouver, today's demonstrators were joined by various unions in a show of solidarity. We are asking the unions and all the you know, organization, like women's organization to come and support this revolution because there are thousands of uh, young people, students, university students, or the protesters, they have been arrested and they are, their life is in danger. In the Okanagan, Iranian and Ukrainian nationals and their supporters are joining forces for a joint cause. Members of each community held a human rights drive this afternoon in solidarity with the people of both countries. Victoria Famia reports. In just three months' time, we will mark one year since the Russian invasion of Ukraine. It's also been almost two months since the death of 22-year-old Masa Amini, who died after being held by the morality police in Iran for wearing her hijab too loosely. Her death sparking worldwide outrage. The Okanagan community continues to support the people of both countries, voices raised. Uh, no internet, no uh, free media in Iran, and we can be the voice of those who have no voice. This is, uh, first of all, everyone's responsibility as a global citizen to stand for those who don't have voice and choice. Kelowna's Ukrainian and Iranian communities partnering in a human rights drive to bring awareness to the hardships going on in their countries. The two communities now feeling connected. Uh, the idea is we have common enemy, Iranian regime, that uh, oppresses Iranian people and uh, supplies uh, weapons and drones to Russia. And these drones are used to destroy Ukrainian infrastructure now and uh, kill Ukrainian people. The Ukrainians, Iranians, uh, we, we are in the same team, so we have common enemies. And I think this is tremendous amount of help to show the world that we are supporting, to show these two governments that they can't, you know, kill people. The parade of vehicles made its way from UBCO to West Bank and then looped back to the university, donning their flags as a way to gain public attention and to keep the conversation going. Everyone who has heart for uh, freedom, liberty and human rights should take a part of this very uh, profound drive. With Iranian authorities waging a deadly crackdown to put an end to the unrest during protests following Masa Amini's death, some Canadian Iranians fear for the safety of their loved ones who live back home. 
it's so hard basically it's so hard because all my family and most of my friends are there and you know um thinking about that um they're not safe they're they may be killed because they you know raise their voice they try to amplify their voice they may be killed for that or just put into the prison both the Iranian and Ukrainian communities plan to continue efforts to be a voice for their countries until they see change. Victoria Famia, Global News, Kelowna. And members of the Okanagan Summerland Legion made an appalling discovery this morning, the day after Remembrance Day. Thieves broke into their branch and made off with a poppy fund worth hundreds of dollars. The thieves stole about $700 in cash, donations meant to help Canadian veterans. And they also caused extensive damage to the building's doors, ATM and security system. The break-in not only means poppy fund money has been lost, but adding insult to injury, the Legion branch will now have to pay a $1,000 in insurance deductible with no guarantee of how much of that damage will actually be covered. Burnaby RCMP are asking for your help in identifying a suspect who reportedly exposed himself near an elementary school this week and was also nearly hit by a vehicle. This is the person of interest police would like to speak to in connection with the suspicious incident that happened just before 11 o'clock Thursday morning. RCMP say the man was pacing near Maywood Community School on Imperial Street before he exposed himself to children. The suspect was captured on surveillance footage wearing a black medical mask, blue jacket and black pants and blue and white runners. Burnaby RCMP are also seeking dash cam footage as they believe the same man was almost struck by a vehicle while crossing Central Boulevard and Bonsoir Avenue that same morning. If you know who he is, call Burnaby RCMP. On the heels of a very long weekend for air passengers traveling WestJet, there appear to be more issues impacting the airline in Western Canada this Saturday. WestJet says they are experiencing intermittent issues with check-in kiosks in the international terminal at Calgary's airport. And that is impacting certain flights and stopping passengers from using the self-check-in service. The airline says domestic departures are not impacted. This latest hiccup follows a major tech glitch at the airline's data center last weekend that disrupted more than 400 flights over several days. In a statement released today, WestJet's chief operating officer apologized for letting passengers down. Coming up, Vancouver rental sticker shock. I think it really illustrates how how some folks are trying to hang on, really trying to kind of find their Vancouver dream and trying to have set anchor. How much would you pay for four walls on four wheels? The latest sign of a housing market that's hit fever pitch. Plus, I wanted to go for an adventure and I thought, oh, the Trans Canada Trail is long enough to have an excuse to be out there for a long period of time. An epic, exhaustive journey from coast to coast to coast draws to a close. Meet the hiker who has walked right into the history books. That's after the break. Stay with us. Welcome back and back now to a story we meant to bring you earlier in the newscast about a family of seven left homeless and with nowhere to go by last weekend's wicked windstorm. Julia Foy has their story. A big boom and shake hit the house and we thought it was an earthquake or lightning. And right away, the lights went out. Maple Ridge mom Amanda Coop and her husband TJ are still in shock after a giant tree crashed into their rented home on November 4th. Opened our bedroom door and there was a giant tree in the bedroom. And he comes right back down and he says, now don't panic, but there's a big tree in the bedroom. Of course I panicked. 
the tree cut through their daughter Audrey's bedroom. We were all in the front and across the back, not the front. So we were safe at the front, but the, the back got crushed. Fortunately, the family of seven were not sleeping in their beds. So we're really lucky that we were all um, in the living room at that late hour. For the past week, Amanda and TJ, along with their four children and her dad, have been crammed into the front of the house, waiting to find out when their home can be repaired. We're sleeping here, we're sleeping here, here. I sleep in there with the baby. Right. And my little guy is in here who would normally be here. The family only moved into the house in August and were still unpacking their belongings. But Saturday afternoon, when Global was on site, they received more bad news from their landlord. Please vacate the house as soon as possible in caps. Where are we supposed to go? I need moving supplies of two moving trucks. We don't have a vehicle on the road right now. We're trying to move my dad's stuff into here from Burnaby still. Global News confirmed with the landlord that the family can't stay. Insurance company just told that they need to uh, move out because there might be a structural damage and they don't want anybody to get hurt. Concerned neighbours are reaching out. My husband and I decided to get some groceries, head down, drop them off, and when we realized what situation she was living in, something needed to be done. A GoFundMe page has been created. For now, the family is trying to remain positive. So thank God that she wasn't there while we were going through stuff. Thank God my spouse wasn't laying in bed because it was his side of the bed. Thank God my dad didn't want to go to bed early because it would have come down on his head. Julia Foy, Global News. Well, is it an innovative rental opportunity in the big city or someone's idea of a prank amid a very real housing crisis? And how much would you pay to rent four walls on four wheels? Experts say Vancouver's rental housing situation has become so heated and competitive, it's hard to differentiate between parity and reality. Kristen Robinson explains. The boat intended to anchor aviation student J.C. Humchit's future in Vancouver now sinking in False Creek, a casualty, he says, of a recent windstorm. My boat was supposed to be my savior in this rent crisis, and unfortunately, uh, it just didn't uh, work out. No vacancy, the reality for many. And it's leading to some questionable offers. This Craigslist ad disappearing quickly. Just under one grand a month to rent one of three furnished vans in the parking lot of a West End building with management providing 24-7 access to showers and washrooms. I think it really illustrates the kind of desperation that some people are facing in the city of Vancouver when we have this difficulty of identifying the difference between parity and reality. One van is parked in the building lot, but its interior doesn't appear to match the ad. Its poster did not respond to Global News, nor did the Park Bay's property management firm. The legalities of living in a van in a parkade are also unclear. I think that that's really actually a big question is it's probably, it's ambiguous at least at this point. Van living is possible in city parks, but there are bylaws. RV dwellers calling this Spanish bank's parking lot home were given notices to leave last month because overnight parking is prohibited. Really, I think, talks to really a sizable population that is really struggling to find affordable, adequate housing. While van life, if valid, may not be for everyone. I took care of my boat, I love my boat, and this was a very unfortunate uh, accident. Humchit is not alone in his search for a new home that'll allow him to stay afloat in the city. Kristen Robinson, Global News.
A hiker has just completed an historic journey in Victoria at the end of an epic adventure that was five years in the making. Eight, nine, ten! <laughs> Here's Melanie Vogel completing an epic coast-to-coast-to-coast trek at Clover Point this afternoon. The solo adventurer is now the first woman to complete the entire Trans-Canada Trail on foot. Her non-stop journey began in Newfoundland back in 2017, and since then, she's taken approximately 26 million steps to cover some 20,000 kilometers of land. While walking through Manitoba, Vogel found the most loyal hiking partner a human can have, adopting a lab, Husky Cross, who's been by her side ever since. Vogel says she'll cherish the kind gestures of fellow Canadians she met along the way. May that be by just having a warm meal or just sometimes a hug. When you have like a really tough day or a high five along the road, um, invitation for a shower in a bed because you're so exhausted. And, and so I kind of named it a solo walk powered by human kindness because that's what it really became. An amazing accomplishment. Coming up, children's health care in crisis. Shame on public health and on everybody else for having waited until it was this bad, because we knew. Overflowing hospitals nationwide, compounded by bare shelves and pharmacies. The one, two, three punch impacting the country's youngest patients. Plus, a hard-fought victory for Ukrainian forces as Russia retreats from a key southern city. That's after the break. Stay with us. There are hard-won celebrations in the streets of Ukraine this weekend as Russian troops announced their withdrawal from Kherson, the southern regional capital, which President Vladimir Putin had previously said would belong to Russia forever. Well, turns out forever only lasted eight months. Ukrainians in Odessa and across the country heralded the victory. The retreat is a major blow to Russia, even as Putin continues to pose a threat. On their way out, retreating Russian troops blew up major infrastructure in Kherson. And Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky warned that 70% of the region still remains under Russian control. A senator who has been campaigning the federal government to do more to get five Canadians detained in the Dominican Republic released says he's cautiously optimistic they will be freed. The Pivot Airlines flight crew has been detained in the country for the past seven months after alerting local authorities that drugs had been discovered on board the aircraft before a planned flight back to Toronto. The airline has confirmed to Global News that paperwork has now been filed to finally free the flight staff. Senator David Wells says the ordeal won't be over for the crew until their wheels up and on their way home to Canadian soil. It's, it's optimistic news. I'm not going to say it's good news yet, but any movement is optimistic. Uh, we've been pushing this for months and they've been detained for months. I'll be, I'll be satisfied when it's wheels up from, uh, from Dominican Republic. I, I think that, you know, we've, we've heard many times where it's almost there, it's almost there, just some paperwork, another hearing. Uh, I don't know if they're delay tactics or just part of the justice system in the Dominican Republic. Uh, but when I see wheels up, then, uh, then, then it's over to us. It's not known exactly when that flight crew could return to Canada. 
The state of health care in Canada is once again under the microscope as children's hospitals buckle under pressure. Pediatric ICUs across the country are operating way above capacity, struggling to cope with staffing shortages and a surge of viruses, a triple threat of COVID-19, influenza and respiratory illnesses. Parents of children are already being urged not to bring them to BC Children's Hospital unless it's an emergency. And in Ontario, there is simply not enough beds for children needing critical care. As Kamal Kramali reports, with winter fast approaching, physicians are now sounding the alarm and warning of a possible ripple effect across Canada. The crush of patients in Ontario's children's hospitals, unlike anything doctors have ever seen before. I've never seen anything like this, and the situation is dire. I mean, where ICU beds are basically non-existent. Government sources now say Ontario's top doctor will recommend the public begin masking on Monday. A recommendation, but not a mandate. If there isn't a mandate, a lot of people are not going to be wearing masks. And that just makes things more dangerous for everyone. The triple threat, COVID-19, influenza, and respiratory syncytial virus, or RSV, is overwhelming children's hospitals. The ICU at Toronto's sick kids is operating at more than 120% over capacity. Children's Hospital of Eastern Ontario in Ottawa has been forced to open a second intensive care unit. And McMaster in Hamilton is at an occupancy rate of 140%. So as you can tell right here, this shelf right here, it has dust on it. Overflowing hospitals, only exacerbated by empty pharmacy shelves. Children's medicine in high demand. That The situation in hospital is destined to get worse if we don't have the supplies necessary to treat patients in a community setting. This is the most urgent situation right now. There's nothing more important than your children. And doctors warn this is just the beginning of the triple wave. I suspect that it will get worse before it gets better, again, which is quite concerning. I think that there are things that we can do as a society. Um, so the big thing is reintroducing the mask mandate, especially in schools. The Ottawa Carleton District School Board taking matters into its own hands. The new trustees will be sworn in Tuesday and will immediately vote to bring back masks in classrooms. Shame on public health and on everybody else for having waited until it was this bad because we knew. They hope it'll spark other school boards to follow in their footsteps and add to the mounting pressure on the province to do the same. Kamil Karamali, Global News. Coming up, no stone left alone, even a world away. Living in France, the sacrifices that Canadians made is actually um, uh, very, very concrete and touching. A uniquely Canadian tribute to our fallen soldiers in a village in France. The touching initiative to ensure Canadians killed in battle are always remembered. That's after the break. A Canadian program that connects a younger generation to this country's war heroes is expanding a world away. This month, a small village in northern France held its first No Stone Left Alone event. A Canadian soldier was honoured at his gravesite in Normandy by two children and a very special guest, someone who was there 80 years ago when the pilot was laid to rest. Crystal Gamansing reports. Across Europe, there are Commonwealth soldiers buried in scores of cemeteries, big and small. Here, in a tiny village in northern France, 
a uniquely Canadian tribute. Martin and Ocien, two local children, learn about our Remembrance Day traditions. Frederick Russell didn't recite in Flanders Fields, but he did share the story behind Lieutenant Colonel John McRae's powerful poem. Another story shared with these young people, that of a Canadian pilot who went missing in November 1942 after participating in Operation Rhubarb. He s'appelle William Donald Pagan. William Donald Pagan. Donald Pagan. Pagan. Voilà. Imparting the stories of fallen Canadian soldiers is the goal of No Stone Left Alone. These French youngsters are the first in this area benefiting from the Alberta Initiative. Just as many Canadian children have done, they too placed markers on the grave in tribute. A sign Flight Sergeant William Donald Pagan is not alone. Living in France, the sacrifices that Canadians made is actually um, uh, very, very concrete and touching. Um, and living in a, living in a, uh, in a rural area in, in Normandy, uh, I drive down the street and I see Canadian flags somewhere or I go, I go by and I see a cemetery and there's a Canadian inside. Russell hopes to expand the No Stone Left Alone program so French children will understand Canada's contributions. Sergeant Pagan may be a stranger in this beautiful foreign village, but he is remembered. Flowers are regularly placed on his grave. Roland Simon says she does it because if they had a child killed in war, they would be happy if people put flowers on the grave. And then there is Michel Hibert. Eighty years ago, he was in this very cemetery the day the Canadian was buried. It kind of hurts my heart, he says, because this young man came to defend us, and there he is. Iber, along with the young children and local French leaders, all gathered to honor the fallen Canadian. Originaire de Tottenham, dans la province de Ontario, Canada, le sergent William Donald Pagan. The deputy mayor's son is also a pilot and served in Afghanistan, and so she has taken a keen interest in Sergeant Pagan. Il avait à peine 20 ans. Mati Maison notes that he was barely 20 and calls what he must have seen unimaginable. The mayor says he was proud when he was asked if Touville-les-Ifs would participate in No Stone Left Alone. Très sympathique et très, très émouvant pour moi. He called the ceremony very nice and moving. The mayor of Touville-les-Ifs was uh, very, very adamant uh, at, at being involved. And I know um, the way things work around here is that the mayor is going to talk to the mayor in the village beside and say, oh, we had this, we had this, uh, we had this organized. The hope of a ripple of remembrance by transmitting the story of one fallen Canadian honored in a tiny French village. Crystal Gamancing, Global News, London. A documentary about the search for a Chinese-Canadian soldier from Kamloops whose sacrifice during the First World War was overlooked until recently premiered in Vancouver on Friday. 
Finding Fred Lee made his debut at the Chinatown Storytelling Center, fittingly on Remembrance Day. 20-year-old Frederick Lee signed up to serve with the Rocky Mountain Rangers in 1916. A year later, Lee was killed in action in the Battle of Hill 70 on the Western Front in France. But the Chinese-Canadian soldier's body was never recovered. Lee's service was forgotten for a century until filmmaker Jack Jin uncovered his story and made sure it was sealed into Canadian history. Jin also received Lee's posthumous war medals from the Canadian military and passed them on to the soldier's family. Some long overdue recognition there. Meteorologist Yvonne Shell is here with a look at our weekend weather forecast, Yvonne. It's been a nice one so far, Sarah. A bit chilly, especially for the early morning hours, so do keep that in mind. This evening along the south coast, we'll have a bit of cloud cover building in, but it is going to remain dry. Some of the numbers that we're seeing right now with Prince George at minus 3, good evening into Williams Lake at minus 6 in areas near Cranbrook with a current temperature at minus 8. Overnight tonight, so we do have that cloud cover. We'll dip down to around the freezing mark. We do have the risk of frost. Through the early morning hours, we've got some fog patches in the mix. They'll dissipate, and then as we get in through the afternoon, similar to what we're seeing today, we'll be back into some sunshine. It'll be pleasant. Temperatures getting up to 8 degrees, where the average for this time of the year sits at 9. Here's a quick snapshot. If you're traveling along the mountain passes, also seeing dry conditions. More of a clearing will be on the way, especially as we get in towards the afternoon. And a check on the satellite and radar. Well, we had a bit of precipitation along the north and central coast, but it'll ease off, and that same system is going to bring in that cloud cover, and that's We'll be tracking across the south coast. Ridge of high pressure. This is the big weather story that we're actually following in the coming days. So it'll be dry paired with that sunshine. It's just those overnight lows that'll be close to when hovering the freezing mark. Heads up though, I wanted to put the future cast into our long range forecast. And on Wednesday, we could have a system that's going to move from north to south. We actually call it an inside slider. And that could bring in a few flurries with colder air. And that'll just be in towards the interior. But we'll still benefit from that ridge of high pressure along coastal areas. And it is going to remain dry. So a heads up on Wednesday. Wednesday, but not much in terms of precipitation so far. A nice break, though, through the day along the northern half of the province. Coastal areas will bump up to 8 degrees. We'll see those overnight lows. So Prince George, minus 10, and then through the day, feeling like minus 3. Much of the southern half of the province will see a fair bit of cloud cover. It'll be similar if you're traveling along the mountain passes and then easing off with that sunshine through the afternoon. Kamloops seeing highs up to minus 3. And we are going to see a bright one through the day tomorrow, but we still have those morning fog patches, especially along the island for areas that are closer to the water, and it'll be similar for the lower mainland. So cloud cover, fog patches overnight. Through the morning, it'll clear out. We'll be back into some sunshine. It's pleasant in the coming days. We've got plenty of sunshine in the mix. We've got temperatures closer to 8 degrees. It's just those overnight lows, Sarah. It'll be a touch chilly, but dry and clear so far as we get in towards the next five. Back to you. Oh, love those dry, clear, and crisp sunny days. Thanks so much, Yvonne. <laughs> well, if you're into trains, little tiny trains, that is, and all that goes with them, then Cloverdale was the place to be today for the train and hobby exposition. The event, aimed at promoting model railways to all ages, took place in the Cloverdale Fairgrounds today. Organizer Brian Peters says he was happy with the turnout, but says young people were in the minority. He's hoping to attract a new generation to the hobby. I wanted the community to come out and see what rail fans like and enjoy. Um, we're shy on young people. We need more young people in the hobby, and so there's something here for every age every scale, books, magazines, pictures, you name it, it's, it's here on site. 
Very cool. Hey, Asa Ramon is here in Burberry Delay. Good to see you. Good to see you too. Uh, we've to got some here. Canucks coming up tonight, I understand. Yeah, the good news mm. is, is that they had a lead in the first period, but if you follow the Canucks this season, you know that's not necessarily a good thing. I'll have the highlights. <laughs> okay, looking forward to it, I think. Coming up on the news hour, running low on Romaine and leafy greens. It's a shocker for most customers. Inflation sticker shock hits the vegetable a lot of us take for granted. Why lettuce is in short supply and skyrocketing in price. That's after the break. From the stories that touch us all to the events happening all around us. When BC needs to connect, BC turns to the source that brings us together. Global News. Connect. Well, most Canadians are feeling sticker shock at the grocery store in general these days with the impact of inflation, but that's assuming you could even find the staples on store shelves to spend on. As Global's Rosanna Hempel reports, there's currently a shortage of lettuce in parts of the country, and that's forcing some restaurants to change up their menus. Jessie Hodel usually fills this salad with romaine lettuce, but on Saturday, she's using leaf lettuce because romaine wasn't available. Ruffage Eatery in Winnipeg is adapting to an iceberg and romaine lettuce shortage that's resulting in high prices at the grocery store or shelves that are nearly bare. Trying to make it stretch, trying to make sure like we use every last bit of it. Um, and then so next week, we're changing the menu again, as we normally do, to try to include as little as lettuce as possible. At Food Fair, owner Munther Zied says the change in price and supply happened quickly. It's a shocker for most customers. On Saturday, to his surprise, Zied says they were able to get the stock they ordered. All week it's been, we order four, we get one. Order five, we get one, sometimes none. Uh, we ordered uh, four and we got the four, so, which means supply might be better right now, but Prices are still high. For this vegan restaurant, it's another big adjustment after a pandemic that saw lockdowns and widespread supply chain disruptions. It's just frustrating to have to deal with this on top of everything else, like with the inflation and, and everything. It's just like, it's a constant struggle and juggling to try to make it make it work. Sylvain Charlebois with Dalhousie University says California's diseased lettuce crops in dry fall has spelled trouble for its exports to Canada. We are expecting this situation to be temporary uh, as we typically would get uh, uh, leafy greens um, from Arizona starting in December. So if there are no recalls, and sometimes we do see recalls in December, if we don't have any recalls, we should be okay for the holidays. But Hodel says she isn't holding her breath. Next month, it could be another product, she says. I don't know what's going to happen. It's, it's a scary thought, but I think we just need to look at two more sustainable options for, for us in the prairies and not having to rely on shipping across the border. Rosanna Hempel, Global News. Coming up, Asa Berman is back with sports, plus going to the pigs. Wanted to get a second pig for my pig, and I couldn't find any. And actually, I ended up purchasing one that was going to be food. We'll take you to the sanctuary for pot-belly pigs, otherwise likely destined for death. That's coming up after sports. Stay with us. From the stories we need to know, to a look at what's happening right now around us, when BC needs to connect, BC turns to the source that brings us together. Global News. Connect. Tune in to Rise for BC Kids on Global BC. 
On November 26th from 7 to 11 p.m., discover the newest ways medical experts at BC Children's Hospital are breaking through barriers in child health and the kids and families whose lives have been transformed because of it. Get your body moving this November. National Kinesiology Week is November 21st to 27th. Find activities to help you feel better, move better, and live better. For Our BC, I'm Michael Newman. Our BC is brought to you by Preventable and ICBC. Yellow lines don't look out for pedestrians in low light. You do. Let's keep it preventable. Welcome back. Okay, Asa is back. Mm -hmm. I hear the Canucks game just ended. I'm actually you, excited because I genuinely have no idea what happened. You so. gave me a hard time <laughs> off camera as well after the little read before the break. You're like, you ran off so quickly. It was you so was... quick and short, but the game's going on. So it was a little bit distracting. Now I understand there why. Okay, well, yeah. give us the highlights. Let's... Just finished. Yeah, it's the first of two meetings between the Canucks and Maple Leafs this season. And it's the first of two games for Vancouver this weekend. They'll play Boston tomorrow. And Spencer Martin was given the start today against the the Leafs and prior to puck drop it was a, an emotional ceremony for Boria Salming on Hall of Fame weekend in Toronto the 71 year old former Leaf defenseman is battling ALS who recently announced that and really paved the way for Swedish players in the NHL which is why William Nylander and Oliver Ekman Larsson took part in the ceremonial faceoff. plenty of Swedes on the ice in this game but it's Canadian Bo Horvat getting the opening goal tipping in the shot from Luke Shen Horvat's been great this season, his 13th goal of the season, second only to Connor McDavid. At the other end of the ice, Dennis Maligan on the breakaway, but he is denied by Spencer Martin. Martin was pretty good early on in this game, and then midway through the first period, Canucks on the power play, JT Miller gives Vancouver a 2-0 lead. He's been pretty good in the last few games as well. So the Canucks in cruise control after the first period, up 2-0. But early in the second, Austin Matthews gets the Maple Leafs on the board to make it 2-1. And yes, if you're getting that feeling as a Canucks fan, it's coming. A bit of a scramble in front still in the second period. The puck gets to Pierre Engvall. There's a wide open net. He's not going to miss from there. He scores, and that makes it 2-2. And yes, Canucks fans, just feeling those flashbacks, seeing this this lead, this two-goal lead slip away because Jordy Ben in the second period as well, midway through. He scores, and uh, that'll do it. Leafs go on to win this one 3-2. Heartbreaking, obviously, for Canucks fans because once again, they let a two-goal lead slip away. Elsewhere, and earlier today, Connor McDavid leading the league with 15 goals. His Oilers facing the Panthers in Florida. Victorious Tyson Berry with the blast from the points. That's the opening goal of the game. 1-0 Edmonton. Well, he isn't done there. They have a great game once again. Feeling good in this one. He snipes this one for his second of the game. Just his third of the season. Good game for him. The Oilers go on to beat the Panthers by a score of 4-2. This is... A wild game just wrapping up as well. Penguins in Montreal to face the Canadians. Habs looking to win three in a row for the first time this season. They'll get the opening goal. Josh Anderson scoring in the first two minutes of this game. One nothing, Montreal. But then Pittsburgh responds. It's 1-1 here when a shot from the point is redirected by Ricard Raquel. His sixth of the season. Pittsburgh goes up 2-1. They led 3-2 in the third period before Nick Suzuki did this. Dangles. Gets the puck back and scores. I made it 3-3. It's now 4-4 late in the third period. 
to football we go now. The BC Lions are in Winnipeg getting ready for the Western Final against the Blue Bombers. The biggest challenge for the Lions will be putting up points against the two-time defending Grey Cup champions, especially with the temperature expected to be around minus 10. Our Jay Janauer is there doing his best to stay out of the cold. He caught up with one of the stars of the Bombers defense. Well, Adam Big Hill is one of 10 Winnipeg Blue Bombers to be a CFL All-Star. I almost said BC Lions because you spent six years with the Lions. Four here in Winnipeg. You've got a chance. You're one game away to three-peating. Can you allow yourself to think about that, the way that this football team has been so dominant the last few seasons? No, you just really got to handle business. It's right in front of your face. And, um, you know, tomorrow, um, you know, we prepare, prepared all uh, by week, all week this week um, for this moment. we got to take care of this that's right here in front of us uh, for the opportunity to go and, and uh, for the three-peat. So uh, everything is right here, right where we want it to be. We always talk about big games, and when you look at both teams' lineups, all-stars on both sides of the football and the two premier quarterbacks in the CFL, how do you see this matchup? You know, it's, it's, it, honestly, it's about executing your game plan, the team that makes the least amount of mistakes, protects the football or takes away the most, is going to win. I mean, uh, the conditions out here, I mean, it's going to be a little tougher to throw the ball the way you want to throw it. Uh, you might have to run the ball a little bit more. Um, ball gets slippery. It's hard. It's harder to catch. Um, you know, it's all about making those big plays and crunch time when you got to make them. What's the mindset of this football team? Because the lines are very loose. Chatting with them all season long, they talk about a family. And I know you are always a guy who's, who's in the locker room. You're a leader in the locker room. Your football team looks like it has a lot of leaders as well. Yeah, no, we've we built something pretty special here. Uh, there's a lot of guys that have been in this locker room for, you know, the last four or five years. Um, you know, the family atmosphere here, you know, extends beyond the locker room to, you know, outside the field. So, um, you know, guys play for each other here, no doubt about it. Uh, we're going to lay it on the line for each other. 34 years young, uh, you just completed your 10th CFL season, back-to-back -back seasons of 70-plus tackles, 72 if my memory serves correct this season. Still going strong? Yeah, I mean, still going strong. I feel like I'm... 26. I feel like I'm playing as, as top of my game and um, you know a lot more good things to come. It has been a snowy day here in Winnipeg. It's going to be cold tomorrow. We'll see if it snows, but looks like we'll be seeing a good football game either way. Thanks, Jay. It should be a great game tomorrow in Winnipeg. Meanwhile, Hardy Cup in Saskatoon earlier today with the Huskies facing the UBC Thunderbirds. Late in the first half, UBC trailing 9-0. They scored their first touchdown of the game. Lucas Masha Domenico punching it over the line, but it was all Saskatchewan from there. Huskies come roaring back, and in the second half, Jordan Rusnak scores just as the third quarter expired. Then in the fourth, a pick six seals the deal. Saskatchewan go on to win this one. They earn their 21st Hardy Cup title with a convincing 23-8 win over UBC. There's some rugby action from this weekend as well. Canada taking on France. The bronze medal of the Rugby World Cup, and Canada's been pretty good throughout this tournament, uh, getting all the way all the way to this uh, bronze medal game. But uh, this was all France. Pauline Bourdon scoring to make it 15 nothing in the first half. Then Anaël Deschay with the try. It was 27 nothing in the second half, and uh, France cruising to a comfortable victory in this one. They go on to take it. So Canada finishing fourth after a 36-0 defeat. As for the gold medal game, England, who knocked out Canada, taking on New Zealand. And Aisha Laitiga with the try here. New Zealand's very strong in this one. This was a close game, though. It was pretty tight. It went back and forth. New Zealand 
eventually going on to win this one as uh, they go on to win this one 34 31 they'll celebrate that so congrats to them tough one for Canada's team but uh, honestly did really well in the tournament and uh, went a long way in the end no kidding that looks like a really great final game as well oh, yeah, it looks like a great one coming up uh, we're heading to a happy place for pigs nice you want to stick around for this stay with us okay we are at a critical turning point in cancer care and research, but together, our potential is beyond belief. The BC Cancer Foundation has launched the most ambitious health campaign in BC's history. Give today at gobeyondbeliefbc.ca. Welcome back. Okay, where do you go if you're a 300-pound pig without a home? Well, as it turns out, there's a very special sanctuary in Prince George just for pot-belly pigs. Carrie Hegel has always had a soft spot for pot-belly pigs, so while searching for a companion for her pet pig, she learned that many other pigs were not as fortunate as hers. As we know, many of her animals have been surrendered by people who just can't care for them. Potbelly pigs can grow to be hundreds of pounds and live up to 18 years, a commitment that some owners may not be prepared for. Enter Hegel and the Tickled Pig Rescue. I don't collect monetary donations. I just pay for everything out of my own pocket right now. But we're actually in the new year, hoping to move on to a place with more acreage so that we can take in more pigs. And from that point, I would like to open up the doors to people to come and visit and to accept donations and maybe have some volunteers. That's where we're looking to go. The sanctuary does currently accept frozen organic food scraps for the animals and, of course, any pigs who need a home. Okay, 18 years, I have to admit, I used to want a potbelly pig so badly, my parents would never give me one, now I understand why. Yeah, yeah. it's a full commitment. It's a long commitment. I mean, you could, always get, you could always get one for heart, but I'm, I'm just saying. <laughs> you could put we'll that see. on the list for Christmas, you know? Maybe she wants my a daughter pig. would, actually. Yeah, maybe your daughters would want them, Mesa, you never know. <laughs> um, quick look at weather, Yvonne, if we have time before we go. Uh, we are gonna see some fog patches overnight, a bit of cloud cover in the mix, but it's actually pleasant through the afternoon as we round off the weekend and sunny and dry so far as we look ahead towards next week as okay, well. Okay, looking beautiful. That's all for tonight. Thanks for being with us. We'll see you right back here at 11. Good night.